I invite you to open up your Bibles, if you have them, your Holly Bibles, to uh, Genesis chapter 32. We're going to start out in Genesis. I know you're disappointed. We're not starting out in Leviticus today. Maybe someday we'll come back to Leviticus. But today, Genesis chapter 32, this morning, we're wrapping up our series called The Beautiful Collision. And we're jumping back into the story of Jacob and Esau. We started off this series several weeks ago looking at these two brothers when they were teenagers. Interesting story when Esau was in a moment of weakness and he got manipulated by his brother Jacob, giving away his birthright for a bowl of lentils. And then later, Jacob disguises himself as his brother in order to trick his father into giving him the blessing. It was after this blessing. Then Esau, his brother, is so furious, he uh, wants to kill him. So Jacob has to run away. Then we looked on in, in the second week at this dream. One time when he was on the run out in the desert, Jacob has this dream uh, of a ladder that goes to heaven with angels going up and down the, the ladder. And Jacob wakes up with this new awareness of God's presence. That was with him right there all the time, and he didn't realize it. He didn't realize it. This morning, <clears throat> we're going to kind of skip past several decades of, of Jacob's life because we want to see how the saga of these two brothers ends up. Uh, because what we're really after, remember, we're after learning more about what happens when we, will let, when we let heaven collide with our world, when God is allowed to be present in our life, to have free reign, to reign. We want to know what, God, what it's like when God is allowed to be present. Of course, he's always present. He's always literally present. But when he's allowed to be relationally present, when he's allowed to be functionally present, emotionally present, when he's given free reign to reign in our lives, to be Lord of every corner of our life. And let me just say this. I believe today that we're speaking to, a, especially to a specific group of people, especially those of us who have really struggled over this past year. And if you're sitting here today, you're watching on live stream and, and you have struggled. This past year has been really tough. Maybe you have struggled with people. Maybe you have struggled with God, with what he's up to in your life. Uh, maybe you've struggled to believe if he's even up to something. And maybe you've struggled thinking, if he's up to something, then why sometimes is it so hard? Shouldn't it be easier if God is moving in my life? Maybe you've, you've gone to God seeking healing from hurts from other people. Uh, or maybe it is God himself that if you were being honest, you kind of need reconciliation with. And if you've ever wondered during this series, how do I get excited about this idea of heaven colliding into earth when I feel like I have just been going through a series of collisions that I'm barely surviving. If this is you, if any of this is you, then today is for you. Then today is for you. Will you pray with me for a moment? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for being here. We know, Lord God, that your presence is always with us, but we thank you, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit is especially moving in our midst today. I thank you, Lord, for every person in this, this room, every person listening. I pray, Lord God, that you would be working on our hearts and use this word, Lord God. Give it authority and use it, Lord God, to build your kingdom in our life. God, make us a people who give ourselves and give other people space to question, to struggle, to wrestle, to doubt, to wrestle with you, Lord God. 
Lord God, may we be aware this morning that we are on holy ground, that you are here and have been here all along this whole time. Your presence has been with us this whole time. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Okay. Let's dig into Genesis chapter 32 here. So, uh, it's about 20 years later after the last time we looked at uh, Jacob since he ran away from home. And in that time, in a far off land over all of these decades he spent there, he has found the love of his life, a woman named Rachel. And he's actually got two wives because that's the way they, they rolled back then. And, uh, that's a, actually, and these two wives are actually sisters. That's a long story. You know, that's a happy home. Um, they're also the daughters of his uncle. So technically they're his cousins. So yeah, different age, different age, different place. Um, we'll move along. He's also got a lot of kids. He's got 11 sons and a daughter. He's, he's, we'll soon, after this story, have one more son. That'll become the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember, one of his sons is Joseph of the Technicolor Dreamcoat, Joseph. Um, but these, this is this Jacob. So he's got a lot of kids. And in these decades that he spent off, he has become very, very wealthy by the standards of their day. He has thousands of animals and herds, heads of cattle. He has lots of employees and servants and people. And so Jacob Incorporated is doing very well, right? He's got a big family, big business. But in all these years, Jacob has not seen or heard from his brother Esau, not once. The last he heard from Esau when he ran away was that, I'm going to kill you. That is the last thing Esau said. And so he has, uh, in fact, when he ran away, his mother told him, I'll let you know. He said, she said, I'll send word to you when it looks like Esau has calmed down and it's safe to come home. But that's never happened. Instead, God himself tells Jacob one day, as he's living this new life over here, that it's time to return home and that he can trust him. He'll take care of him. So Jacob has packed up his entire family and all of his servants and all the animals and the whole caravan. They're making this long journey back home. And here we are in Genesis chapter 32. Let's start in verse 3. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir in the country of Edom. And he instructed them, this is what you're to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, did you catch that? Right? He calls Esau my Lord. He refers to himself as your servant. And, and that's going to be consistent through the rest of these chapters here. Uh, Jacob always refers to Esau as my Lord. He refers to himself as, as your servant. So you see the lesson. He's kind of learned a little bit of a lesson here. He's not storming back into town going, ha ha, dad gave me the blessing, right? You're, I'm supposed to lord it over you. You're going to be my servant. That's what it said. Um, no, no, no. He's matured a bit here, uh, quite a bit. And he's, he's ready to lay his ego down. He's older and he's wiser than that teenager that was just kind of stepped on everybody to get ahead. So Jacob sends the messengers out there kind of to gauge Esau's mood a little bit. Hey, bro, how's it going? Hope you're still not mad, right? This is, this is Jacob. Verse 6, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, well, we went to your brother Esau and now he's coming to meet you. Wahoo! And 400 men are with him. Say, what, what now? Right? Jacob's like, oh, no, it's 400 men. That is a small army. This is not good. This is no good. Jacob's like, no, this is the end. He is coming to kill me. 
he is going to slaughter me and my family. He has every good reason to believe that this is the case. Verse 7, in great fear and distress. Oh, look at this. Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups. This is really sad because what he's doing here, he says, I'm going to divide my family. I'm going to divide my, my kids and my flocks and everything into two groups. That way, if Esau gets here and starts slaughtering us, maybe one, he'll focus on one group and the other group will have time to get away. So this is his emotional state heading into this in, encounter. Verse 9 says, Jacob prayed. I can imagine he, <laughs> he prayed pretty hard. Oh, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac. You know, what's interesting is, is Jacob, continu continually, you'll see this uh, in his language, he only refers to God as the God of my father Abraham, who was his grandpa, and my father Isaac. He never really refers to God as his own God in all this time. Uh, he never initiates contact with God. It's always God who is the one pursuing Jacob. And uh, it takes a really long while for Jacob to see God as his heavenly father. Um, and I can imagine probably because of his own past, his guilt, his shame for how he got to this place, he sees himself more as sort of a God's grandchild, God's great-grandchild. You were the God of my father and my grandpa, but I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of like a a, a grandson. He hasn't really made his faith his own, uh, but he's starting to, because this right here is the very first time Jacob prays in his story. And it's easy to understand because he is under some serious distress right now, right? He's under fear. Uh, he's at his wit's end, and, and that's good for Jacob to get to this point uh, because cause there doesn't seem to be anything he can do in the natural to stop the slaughter that is surely on the way. And he's not going to be able to scheme and strategize his way out of this at, like he's famous for doing. And it's such a precious reminder to all of us that God will do anything to win our hearts. He really will. He has, in fact, he has done everything to win our hearts. We have the gospel in flesh and blood. We have Jesus, right? The beauty of the gospel. But for some of us, it still takes a crisis, if we're honest, to, uh, to surrender that illusion of control that we want to have and, and get to that place where we finally call out to God. So for Jacob, this crisis is what it takes. Jacob prays out for God to save him. And he reminds God of his promises because God had said, go on back and I'll be with you. I'll take care of you. So God promised him already. And then Jacob comes up with a plan. In verse 13, he says, this time, I'm going to send messengers, but I'm not, they're not going to go empty-handed. This time, I'm going to send them back bearing gifts. And he sends them back with bearing so many, so many presents. And because what he wants is for Esau to see his remorse. He wants to prove his remorse. So he sends them back this time with 500 animals. And it says that they go in waves. So he, he, he's kind of being smart about this. They, they, there's this first wave of gifts and animals that appear. And then there's a second wave over the horizon. Here comes more animals that come and come. He's hoping that wave after wave will eventually soften Esau's heart. He's still trying to strategize, ever the schemer, right? He's, he, he's still Jacob. He still doesn't fully trust God. He's going to do whatever he can to buy off Esau's revenge here. In verse 20, he states exactly what his, what his plan is. He says, I will pacify him with these gifts. 
I will pacify him with these gifts. That's my plan. Um, interestingly, that is the way of religion, to try to pacify God with our gifts. That is what we do. We try to placate God. It's playing out right here. We believe religion tells us that really we have a judge who sort of hates us. But if we can placate him, if we can pacify his anger, maybe he'll accept us. Maybe he'll accept us. That's the way of religion. But God's plan is always grace. It's always grace. Pacifying God with a gift is usually our plan. Grace is always God's plan. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, right? He gave Jesus. So God's temperament towards us is always grace. It's always love. Well, then something happens at the end of chapter 32 that is the weirdest, strangest, most oddball thing I've ever read. And I got to say, I love it. I love it. I love this story. Jacob had sent all these gifts and animals to Esau with his messengers. And that night, Jacob is sort of camping by himself away from his camp family and the rest of the caravan. So verse 24 says, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak, like you do, <laughs> right? How, how often does that happen, right? You're camping, someone comes into camp, they want to wrestle all night. Um, that's the thing. This is a, this is a famous picture of Gustav Doré's uh, R- Jacob wrestling with the angel. Uh, I don't know why they're always depicted with wings. There's no wings in the scriptures uh, of the angel. It's just, it just says it's a man uh, who turns out to be God. Uh, but it, this is a passage, I got to say, that has always been important to me. Just to be transparent with you, because I, I've always been one of these folks who, uh, who wrestles. And I know I'm not the only one here, uh, but I've wrestled with God quite a bit. Uh, faith has never come easy for me. I'm not one of someone who faith comes easy for. I, it's, it's just something about the way I'm wired, my brain. My brain has to, like, give my heart permission to believe, uh, especially, especially unusual claims. I don't, I don't believe them very easily. And so there are people who out there who can do that. They seem to have a gift of faith. And there is something in the scriptures called a gift of faith, and I admire that so much. Uh, but that just not seem, doesn't seem to be part of my DNA. So if you're one of those two, uh, you're in good company. But I've always identified with, with Jacob, this person who wrestles with God. Uh, but it, it's a strange passage. It's a strange passage in many, many ways. Let's look at verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, see, that's odd. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go till you bless me. Jacob figures out pretty soon that this man is more than just a man and that this is the source of blessing himself in flesh and blood. This is the source of blessing. And he is desperate for help and he desires blessing more than anything else. Uh, Verse 27, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. This is 
This is very important. This is kind of a low blow because uh, God here is forcing Jacob before anything else can happen to confront reality, to acknowledge who he is and what he is, what he has always been. Remember, when Jacob speaks his own name, he is speaking the Hebrew word for trickster. For literally, his name means heel grabber, right? Which was like a trickster, a conniver, a schemer. So God's saying, what, who are you? What's your name? Forcing Jacob to say, okay, I'm the schemer. I'm the trickster. Because we can't be under self-delusion, right? When God wants to transform us, we go to God for blessing. We go to God for answers in our life. God has to, he has to confront us in a place of reality. We have to start from reality. Let's start, okay, let's start with no delusions of who you are, right? And that's what he's doing with Jacob here. No delusions of how great we really are or how life has just handed us a raw deal and we didn't deserve any of this or any. Jacob has to own up to the part that he has played before there can be healing here. This is like the world's greatest therapy session going on right here. And in verse 28, he says, the man, then the man said, so he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm Jacob. I'm the schemer. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. It's a beautiful moment. He renames Jacob here. What's curious, interestingly, in the Bible is uh, Jacob continues to be called Jacob and Israel. Kind of goes back and forth. If you read the rest of the scriptures, the rest of the story of his life, it goes back and forth. Some of the folks in the Bible, like Abraham, when he was changed from Abram to Abraham, he's Abraham forever. Different folks in the Bible, they get a new name, they stay with that name. Jacob goes back and forth here, and, and a lot of scholars believe it's because there's still a little bit of Jacob in him. There's still, right, it takes a little while. The one who manipulates and tries to, to grab and manipulate and see things, you'll see a little bit of that because old habits die hard. Uh, but officially here, he's told, your name is going to become Israel, which means the one who struggles or the one who fights with God. And of course, the entire nation of Israel today traces its etymological roots to this moment when a man dared to struggle with God. God's people, that doesn't just include the Jewish people, that's you and me now, right? Christians, the sons and daughters of God, we've been grafted into that vine. We continue that legacy, that we are the people who struggle with God. This is our legacy that we inherit now through Jesus, to be God's people who are open to this, this struggle. That, that struggle it's not just about being people who fight with God. It's also a symbol of intimacy, an intimacy that we have with our Father God. It's an intimacy a servant doesn't have with his master, right, or, or a subject to the king. This is something that we have special with a dad, a father, right? How many of you know some of the people you get in the big argue, biggest arguments with are family? Because you know you're going to be okay at the end of the day, hopefully, and God allows that. He allows that. He doesn't shy away from this. In fact, he names his children this. He says, kids, you're going to be called Israel. El is that another word for God in that Hebrew. Do you know what that means for you and me? 
That means we do not have to pretend that everything's okay. Isn't that a relief for some? We don't have to pretend everything's okay. We don't have to pretend we don't have any questions. Uh, that, that we, it, I, I don't know if, what's going on with you today. You might be here today and you're deconstructing or maybe you're reconstructing or maybe you're just kind of asking a lot of questions about everything. You might be one of those folks. I'm just telling you, you've come to the right place. You've come to the right place. This is what we do as the people of God. We are Israel, the people who wrestle. Verse 29, Jacob says, well, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? He gets real mysterious for some reason. And then here it is. Here's what Jacob is after. Then he blessed him there. See, now Jacob is receiving God's blessing. This isn't just the dad's blessing that he had to lie and cheat to get before. He's getting God's blessing. He has owned up to who he is. God has said who you are, and he's owned up to who he is. He's tried being someone else. He impersonated Esau to get the blessing. And now he receives God, God's blessing, and it changes everything for him. And it comes not through manipulation, but just through honest wrestling. Because this is the moment. God says, you've, okay, you've been you know, who you are. I'm going to be true to myself. That only goes so far. He's tried to be someone else. He's tried to be his brother. Now he's going to be, God says, now you're ready to become who I say you are. Now you're who I say you are. And he's ready for the blessing. In verse 30, so Jacob called the place Peniel, face of God. And it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was <clears throat> spared. This is a beautiful because J Jacob knows that God... Uh, could have easily won this little wrestling match, right? He could have squished him like a bug. He could be dead. God appeared in the form of a man. He could have won the fight. He could have slaughtered him. But he knows that God has limited his power in order to engage in this encounter with Jacob. He knows he didn't overpower God. But God has allowed this, this special moment in order to bless Jacob. By the way, if you do the math... Jacob is over 90 years old in this little wrestling match here. <laughs> so uh, God is not having a hard time pinning down Jacob. We can just be sure of that. This is a picture of God, the good father, who wrestles with his kids, who lets them pin him down, right? Come at him with all their strength. They're all they're showing off, even their frustrations and their tears, their questions. Because the Father God here knows this is good for Jacob's soul. This is what he needs. And Jacob can hardly believe he's survived this. He can't hardly believe he's lived through the experience. He has experienced God's grace and mercy. You know, often when we, we focus on this story, we focus on Jacob's boldness. Uh, yeah, his boldness that he is willing to wrestle with God. He wants the, the blessing so bad, right? He's ready to go to the mattresses, right? Uh, if, if, a little Godfather reference there. And, and not let go until he gets the, the blessing, the response he's looking for. But to me, this says so much about God. That God would let this happen, that he limits himself to, to he can engage people where they're at. He engages us where we're at, and it's such an amazing willingness for God to engage us where we're at. Such a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful expression of God's parental, parental love. 
He's kind of getting down on his hands and knees. He's willing to play rough and tumble with his kids. When I was, when my, my boys were both little, that was some of our favorite moments, right? They, both of them would come at, we'd get on the bed and both of them come at me at the same time with the wrestling and we'd wrestle and get on top and they'd be on top of me and, and I'd throw their legs out from under them and then they'd jump on top of me and I'd just feel their little fists of fury pounding down and everything. Sometimes, you know, you could tell they were having fun. Sometimes they think they were, they were getting out some frustration on dad. Uh, it was funny because in those moments when, you know, it was kind of we're all done and dad's on the bottom of the pile and I'm saying, uh, okay, guys, let's call it a night. They didn't want to quite call it a night and you had to like, give them a little goose in the ribs, a little tickle there to make them get off. Um, but of course, what's happening here isn't just fun and games. This isn't playtime. Jacob has some deep-seated issues with his character, with his identity, things that he's experienced, um, things that have happened to him that he didn't deserve, right? Things, bad things, and things that he has uh, been able to come by that he didn't deserve. Fortunate, unfortunate things that he didn't deserve, and God's letting him work this stuff out. And we're talking about this today because I just want you to know that God has big shoulders, and he's not threatened by you. You know we can't threaten God. You know the truth has nothing to fear from scrutiny, and we cannot threaten God by our frustration. He's not worried. He loves you. He's the good father. He has big shoulders. You can wrestle with him. I can't tell you how much that I love being part of this church that has questions as, it's, as part of its DNA. I love being part of this community uh, where folks can come in. People can come here without fear of judgment and find a safe place to ask questions and not just have all the nice, neat answers thrown back at them. Like, oh, don't, yeah, don't ask that. Here's an easy answer. This is a place we can come together. We, we can be told that it's okay to wrestle, to, to dig and search and contend for our faith. And I, I treasure that so much. Um, let's move on. There's so much we could say about this, this part. But I really want to get to chapter 33 because this is the, the big showdown, right? Brother versus brother, hermano y hermano right here. So it's morning time. Jacob catches up with his family in, ver in chapter 33. <clears throat> Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men, like Aragon and the riders of Rohan, right? They are coming toward him. Oh, so he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, those are his two wives, and the two female servants, and he put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. Rachel's the love of his life. Joseph is his favorite son. It's not a good recipe for parenting. Uh, he's definitely playing par uh, favorites here, uh, keeping those two in the rear of the group. And it says he himself went on ahead. Now he's making sure at this point that he is at the front. He's gone to the front of the attack if that's what's going to come. He has accepted this might be a slaughter, but he's willing to die. He's willing to die now. This is self-sacrificial love that is possible when you've had an encounter with God. Now he, that self-sacrificial love is coming out. It says he himself went on ahead, and it says he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. So you have to picture this. He's approaching Esau, and he bows down low. Then he gets up, and he comes a little further, and he bows down low. 
and he comes up and he comes a little further and he bows down low. He does this seven times. He's getting nearer and nearer. This is Jacob. He's now deferring in humility. He's ready to die for his family. I can only imagine his mind frame right now. He's probably thinking, maybe if Esau kills me, he'll spare everyone else. Maybe he'll just get it out of his system. This is so Christ-like here. Well, verse 4, it's a beautiful verse to read. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. This is, this is the same wording here. It's the same line Jesus gives in Luke chapter 15 when he tells the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son returns home, I'll just show it to you here. Jesus says, And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran to his son and fell on his neck and kissed him. The words are almost parallel. Jesus means, when he's telling this parable of the prodigal son, he means for us to see the good news of the gospel played out in history in this beautiful moment between Jacob and Esau. So back to the brothers in Genesis 33, uh, verse 5. Esau looked up and saw the women and children. He said, and who are these with you? He asked, and Jacob says, this is my family. And so he gets to introduce everybody. They're all introduced to him. And then Esau has another question in verse 8. He says, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds that I met? You know, I, I got the, I, you sent over 500 animals. I got them. What, what's the point of that? And Jacob just comes clean. He says, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. To find favor in your eyes, my Lord. But Esau said, I already have plenty, and look what he calls him, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Esau's like, no more of this, this, my Lord, I'm your servant here. This is the first time that either of them have referred to the other as brother. It's the first time. And Esau, who is in the position of power and strength, Right? He's got the writers of Rohan behind him. He's, he's in the position of strength. He's also the one who kind of has the right to be angry about things here. He's in the position to judge. And he says, I don't need your gifts. I have enough. I've been blessed too. Right? I'm living the good life. God's been good to both of us. There's enough blessing to go around. We don't have to engage in this. You didn't have to steal my blessing and I didn't have to hate you over it. We don't need this. Jacob says, no, please. If I found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. So now look, it's different. Before it was a bribery. Before it was, take this so I'll find favor in your eyes. Now he's saying, take this offering of gratitude because I have found favor in your eyes. Isn't this how we respond to the gospel? This is how we respond to Jesus. We're not trying to buy God off, but filled with gratitude, the gospel of grace. Now we want to give God gifts. We can't help but express our gratitude to him, but not so we can earn anything. There's nothing left to earn, but so that we can express our gratitude. And Jacob says, 
Oh, I love this. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. Jacob says, when I look at you, Esau, look, last night, I just saw God last night, and he didn't kill me. (laughs) And now when I look at you, it's like I'm seeing him again. See, when there is humility between people and vulnerability between people, the presence of God is there. some, some people call it, uh, scholars call it the thin places, those times when, when it feels like heaven and earth are just kissing each other, when they're just so close, when heaven and earth are meeting each other. And Jacob's already experienced this a couple of times, right? He experienced this in that, that dream he had when he woke up in the desert and there was uh, and the, this ladder from heaven and earth and the angels going up and down. He had just experienced it the night before, wrestling with God, these thin places. And now right now with his brother, he's experiencing another one of these places, one of these moments when there's grace and forgiveness. Wow, friends, that, that is where God is. We reveal to one another the face of God when we show grace and forgiveness to each other. When they show it to us, we experience his presence. Jesus Jesus would say, this is the kingdom of heaven right here in front of you. Wow. So Jacob pleads with Esau. Please accept these animals he's offered, not as a bribe, but as a gift. And he shifts a, di- a different word in verse 11. This is beautiful. He says, please accept the present is what, how this is uh, translated, the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me. For the first time, he uses a new word here instead of the word for gift that he used before, because that word can mean a sacrifice or a tribute like you give to somebody who's kind of overpowered you or an offering. He uses the word here. It's the Hebrew word for blessing. Accept the blessing. He says, take the blessing. All these years of fighting and manipulating for the blessing, I'm sorry, you take it. Just take it. Take the blessing. I want you to have it. I have God's grace. I've been shown his mercy, and that's all I need. And finally, Esau accepts the gift. But what I love in this story is that the embrace comes before the exchange. The embrace comes first. By the way, I love the signs here. It kind of points to the fact that Esau has, has also done some growing up, hasn't he? This is a different man than we saw a few chapters back. Gone is that impulsive, you know, uh, thoughtless, wild man who just is led by his appetites. Give me the red stuff. I'm starving, right? We don't see that. This, he's become somebody who is willing and seems to be emotionally able to grant forgiveness, even from a place of strength. So everybody in this story has undergone some transformation. Everybody's learning to let go of that endless need to win, to win, to get, get over the other one. And that's my prayer for us guys, that we would, we would get to that place, that we can stop struggling and striving to assert ourselves over other people. Because that we would see that God has been so kind to us. He has been so gracious to us. No matter where we are, what, we, what, we've, what we've been doing, that he has shown his mercy. He has shown his grace to us. And that's enough. We, so we can relate to each other and to other people with generosity and with grace. Because this is the gospel. 
This is the gospel. It's the gospel of grace. Spelled out right here in an Old Testament story. And central to being a Christian is to be people who embrace this message of grace over and over and come back to it regularly. This isn't something that we just encountered one time when we prayed a magic prayer and then we never visited again. Grace, we live in that grace every single day. We come back to it over and over. This gospel of grace, everything that people do, and even as Christians, that we still try to do because we're human and we can't seem to help it. It seems to be in our wiring. All the things we try to do to get right with God, to get Him on our good side, God has already offered it to us as a gift. He's already offered it. When shame meets grace, shame doesn't stand a chance. And Jacob approaches with all kinds of baggage. And he's operating out of a place of shame. And it doesn't stand a chance up against grace. Because when we are forgiven and reconciled, then also we get to live grateful, generous lives to others. And that's the point. That we're to be God's grace to other people. Amen? So friends, as we conclude this series today, unpacking all these ways that God wants to be intimately involved in every facet of your life, if we'll just surrender him, may you find yourself in both the blessing and the brokenness of this story. And may you know that God has always been there, present beside you, even when you didn't even know. He's always been there, ready to bless you with things you did not deserve, ready to heal you from things you did not deserve, ready to embrace you around the neck and shower you with his kisses, not because of how great you are or who you are or what you are, but because that is just who Jesus is. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord God, for showing us the, the beauty of the gospel in living color right here in this story of Jacob and Esau. I thank you, Lord, that this story reminds us that even if we come from a dysfunctional family, Lord God, and even if we're dealing with people in our life that are self-centered and self-serving, and even if we're the people who are self-centered, self-serving, that you patiently, sometimes even over decades, <laughs> you will help us become more and more the people you created us to be, people becoming more like Jesus every day. Lord, I thank you how Jesus even models for us someone who had his own time of, of wrestling with you, Father, in the garden the, that night before the cross, Lord, and he prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And then he gave himself over to that bigger plan. I pray that we would learn from Jesus, that we would learn from Jacob, and we would learn from this gospel message that's embedded right here in Scripture, that we would receive your grace and then offer it, offer it freely to other people, impact us fully, with your spirit, we pray. I pray we all experience that beautiful collision. 
in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Uh, our prayer partners are coming down forward now. If you guys would come on. And if there's anything that we can pray with you about going on in your life, we would love to pray with you. It's not the same when we pray. We want to stand with you. If you're contending, you're struggling, whatever that is, we want to contend in the faith with you. And uh, come on up and let these guys pray with you. You can also send us your prayer request online. Uh, you can text it to us. You can email it to us. Send us your prayer request using the church app, whatever it is, because we have a whole team of people who would love to stand with you in faith, whatever's going on with you. Amen. So folks, my friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance and pour out his mercy and his favor in your life this week, in this day that we're living in. Grace and peace be with you. Amen. Bye-bye.